Welcome to Restoring Memory, a COVID Calls exploration of the first two COVID years. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters, and since March 16th, 2020, I've been the host of COVID Calls, a daily discussion of the... David W. Nagy of Jefferson, Texas, died at age 79 late last month, leaving behind his inconsolable wife, Stacy, five children, and several grandchildren, according to his obituary published in the local Jefferson Jimplecute newspaper. The obituary described how Neji suffered greatly from the ravages of the COVID-19 virus before quickly changing tone and blaming others for his death. Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott, Trump, and other ignorant people were listed as partially responsible for not treating the coronavirus pandemic with seriousness. The obituary ridiculed so-called anti-maskers for refusing to wear protective facial coverings during the pandemic, which, quote, killed innocent people, unquote, including Neji. Family members believe David's death was needless, his wife Stacy Neji wrote in the July 30th, 2020 obituary, which has since been shared in thousands of screenshots on social media. They blame his death on Trump, Abbott, and all the politicians who did not take this pandemic seriously and were more concerned with their popularity and votes than lives. Also to blame are the many ignorant, self-centered, and selfish people who refuse to follow the advice of the medical professionals, believing their right not to wear a mask was more important than killing innocent people, the obituary continued. David did everything he was supposed to do, but you did not. Shame on all of you, and may karma find you all. Newsweek reached out to members of the family through Facebook and also to Governor Abbott's office for reactions, but did not hear back before this piece was published. Mr. Nagy died in the ICU at Christus Good Shepherd Hospital in Longview, Texas on July 22nd, 2020. According to his family, he was born on November 7th, 1940 in Salt Lake City, Utah, before spending most of his life in California and finally retiring to North Texas. I was angry at the situation and the way people are talking and treating the pandemic, the way people act like this is nothing, Stacy, age 72, said in an interview with the Washington Post. It's because of their carelessness and because of our politicians not getting control of this thing, it's why so many people are dying. I was just very, very angry. That's why I wrote it and I meant everything I said in it, she said. The headline is Isabel Odette Hilton Papa Demetrio. This appeared in the Austin American Statesman, July 21st, 2020. It was written by her daughter, Fiona Paulette Garza Tulip, who lives in Brooklyn. On July 4th, 2020, after battling COVID-19 for just one week, Isabel Odette Hilton Papa Demetrio rejoined her heavenly family and gained her wings. Born in Brownsville, Isabel was a compassionate spirit whose fervor was caring for others, spending nearly 30 years helping others breathe as a respiratory therapist while caring for her two children, demonstrating admirable mental drive, focus, and commitment. Her infectious smile, joyful spirit, and strong will made her a ray of light in everyone's life. Often called Obi by friends and family, Isabel is loved and missed by her son, Richard Isaac Elizondo, daughter and son-in-law Fiana Paulette Tulip, 
and Charlie Tulip, grandbaby Lua, siblings Terry Vasquez and her husband, Jose Vasquez, Vicky Borrego, Robert Hilton and his wife, Luisa Ara and Xavier Hilton and his wife, Susan Hilton, along with treasured nieces, nephews and friends. She's preceded in death by brothers John Joe and Luis Hernandez, brother-in-law George Borrego and parents. Isabel was a giant, powerful in her kindness, like thousands of others marked by COVID, she should still be alive today. Her undeserving death is due to the carelessness of politicians who undervalue healthcare workers through lack of leadership, refusal to acknowledge the severity of this crisis, and unwillingness to give clear and decisive direction to minimize the risks of coronavirus. Isabel's death was preventable. Children are channeling their grief and anger into ensuring fewer families endure this nightmare. I'm going to read one more piece as part of this memorial episode. The headline is, The Other Half of My Soul, Widows of COVID-19 Bond Over Sudden Loss. This was written by Julie Bossman. It was published December 31st, 2020 in the New York Times. On Friday evening, Sandra McGowan Watts, a 46-year-old doctor from suburban Chicago, opened her laptop stifled her nerves, and told strangers on a Zoom call what had happened to her husband, Stephen. He died by himself, said Dr. McGowan Watts, who joined the call after an invitation on a Facebook support group for widowed Black women. Not being able to see him, being able to touch him, all those things, the grief is kind of complicated. Women listening understood instantly. They were all widows of COVID-19. For nearly two hours that summer night, their stories tumbled out, tales of sickness and death, single parenting, and unwanted solitude, harrowing phone calls, and truncated goodbyes. More than 340,000 people have died of the coronavirus in the United States. Again, this piece was published December 31st, 2020. Men have died of the disease in larger numbers than women a gender disparity that some researchers have suggested could be partly attributed to men's generally poorer health. That has left untold thousands of spouses suddenly widowed by the virus. Women have witnessed the pandemic from a miserably close angle. They have been left behind with family responsibilities, financial burdens, worries about their children's trauma and their own crushing loss and guilt. Many nursed their partners at home until they were so ill they had to be hospitalized. There, they often died with little warning. Coronavirus widows, as well as many widowers, are spread out across the country, young and old, in big cities in California and small towns in Utah. In more than a dozen interviews, women told of feeling stunned by the swiftness of the experience even months after their husband's deaths. It's very traumatic because of the unexpectedness of it, said Jennifer Law, whose husband, Matthew, died of the coronavirus in Texas in November 2020 years after serving in the army in Iraq. He made it back from two deployments, two separate dangerous deployments. He came home and this is what killed him. Some feel unacknowledged, struggling to manage the aftermath of their partner's deaths amid an unending health crisis. It was really difficult for me because I felt like, man, I'm all alone, said Pamela Addison, age 37, a teacher in Waldwick, New Jersey. Her husband, Martin, a speech pathologist who worked in a hospital, died of the virus in April. If COVID wasn't here, all of our husbands would still be here. Addison eventually sought out other COVID-19 widows to talk to, 
and other women have managed to find each other by joining Facebook bereavement groups, which are also open to men. They have forged ties similar to those found among other clusters of women whose husbands died unexpectedly and prematurely, including military spouses or widows of the September 11 terrorist attacks. Women on the Zoom call in July who live in Chicago have since become friends and meet for dinner and check in daily with quick texts. Widows of the coronavirus recounted a painful set of commonalities, the experience of frantically taking care of their husbands when they feel, felt ill, worrying about when to take them to a hospital, and feeling haunted by the images of their partners dying without loved ones beside them. Generation that I'm from, we took care of our husbands. That's how we were raised, said Mary Smith of Pekin, Illinois, who lost her 64-year-old husband, Mike, to the virus. That was our job, to be their cheerleader. They're used to having that, and all of a sudden, you're not there. Her husband died. She scrolled through his phone and found the lonely pictures he had snapped from his hospital bed. His food in a cardboard container, the oxygen machines, a selfie as he wore breathing equipment. It was so stark, Miss Smith said. He was in there by himself so much of the time. Jennifer K. Jensen, who lives in Delray Beach, Florida, has been tormented by the notion that her presence in the hospital, barred to prevent further transmission, could have helped her husband recover. Her husband, Peter, a 56-year-old real estate broker, died of the virus in August 2020. Gil, it eats me up every day, she said. I think it could have made a difference if I was there seeing him to soothe him or scratch his arm or kiss his head. In St. George, Utah, Donna Heinz has been marooned physically and emotionally since her 78-year-old husband, Fred, died in October of 2020. Her neighbor across the street calls her to check in or waves if they are outside at the same moment, but the isolation of widowhood is raw and unending. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is try to get out of bed quietly so I don't wake him, she said, choking back sobs. Then I look to see if he's there and he's gone. Her husband, an army veteran and longtime police officer was the cook in their house, preparing meals that they would share on TV trays in the living room, watching their favorite shows and making each other laugh. Now, Miss Heinz barely wants to eat a thing and cannot shake the feeling that her husband is still there. Sometimes at night, I look in the kitchen and wonder what he's fixing for supper, she said. A report published in May 2020 by the Global Fund for Widows, a nonprofit organization based in New York, called the coronavirus a widow-making machine, an outbreak that could create, quote, unprecedented numbers of widows across the developing world, unquote. By late December of 2020, at least 163,000 men had died from the coronavirus in the United States compared to with at least 138,000 women, according to federal data. Sarah S. Richardson, a historian at Harvard who directs its gender sci lab, said men have died of the coronavirus in greater numbers in part because of its disproportionate effect on black men and by a surge in deaths of men early in the pandemic. Even before the pandemic, she added, women were more likely to be widowed than men. The Facebook group for Black women who have been widowed has seen a tragic influx of new members this year. Sabra Robinson, its creator, became a widow in 2012 after her husband died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Spurred by that experience and her dissatisfaction in traditional grief support groups, she started her own with a heavy focus on empowerment and encouragement for Black women. When COVID hit, 
oh my goodness, the group was receiving so many requests from widows who lost their husbands due to COVID, said Ms. Robinson, a project manager from Charlotte, North Carolina. They are experiencing more complicated grief than I would say the average widow that posts in the group. How in the world can they heal as long as COVID is out there? For younger widows of COVID-19, the task of raising small children alone has been one of the most daunting tests of the pandemic. After her husband died in April, Deanna Ordonez sold her house in New Jersey to downsize and move closer to friends, family, and their church. Ms. Ordonez described her husband, Juan, as a warm, funny, and cheerful man who was the other half of my soul. Ordonez said she had been propelled forward by a desire to be a good example for their five-year-old daughter, Mia, to show her that she should live fully as Juan did. This whole experience is so depleting and so draining, Ms. Ordonez said, you have to lead your kid by example. You want them to be happy and you're showing them how to behave. Some women's grief has been laced with anger. Mara Vaughn of Prosper, Texas lost her husband, Brian, to the coronavirus in April after he quite likely contracted it on a business trip. Ms. Vaughn, who has three children, has connected with other widows online and read about their struggles, financial and emotional. She pointed to President Trump and his downplaying of the coronavirus crisis, especially early on when her husband became sick. It is difficult to see people in her community still shunning masks and ignoring advice on safety and social distancing. Imagine the pandemic and losing someone to it and then doing it alone, Ms. Vaughn said. I will never have peace and closure on the death of my husband. It should never have happened. story was the other half of my soul, widows of COVID-19 bond over sudden loss, published in the New York Times, December 31st, 2020. This concludes the episode, A Time for Memorial, part three. And I'd like to invite everybody to please tune in in just 10 minutes, which would be 10 a.m., Saturday, March 19th, East Coast time. That's 11 p.m. Korea time, where I am. And it will be the 500th episode of COVID Calls. I'll talk about the genesis of the project, its evolution. I'll show some clips that illustrate some of the main themes of the project. Please join me. Thank you. Stay healthy, everybody. We'll see you in a few minutes on COVID Calls. Mm -hmm.